of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's week three of our series in Advent, the, the third Sunday in Advent in the Christian calendar. And um, we've been engaging with the themes of Advent over the last few weeks. And Advent is where we reckon with the fact that we are living in the times between the coming of Christ. He has come and he will come. And we're now in the tension of the time between those comings. And we've been looking at that through the theme of home, because that's what we've been doing throughout this year as a church, engaging with the fact that God created a good home for us, and is wanting to restore a good home to us, and has done that through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, in just a moment's time, we're going to look at the announcement that we see in Luke 2, which is where we've been basing this Advent series. And there's been a lot of announcements happening over recent weeks. Announcements of policies designed to make home better in the UK. And Thursday night into Friday morning saw another announcement, the announcement of the political party that will be shaping what home looks like in the UK over the next five years. And for some of us, that announcement would have been good news. Some of us would have been delighted. For, for others of us, the announcement would have been bad news, would have felt really discouraged. But for all of us, there is a better announcement that we're going to engage with this morning. News of a home coming beyond political construction. 
And we're going to look at that announcement together this morning. Shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night is where it all begins. Luke tells us that the first hearers of the world's greatest announcement were located in a field in the dark. That's where we join the shepherds, in the dead of night. And Adrian engaged with the darkness of our current experience of home a few weeks ago. And the season of Advent calls us not to hide our face away from the darkness that's around us, but to engage with it. Fleming Rutledge, who's one of my favorite preachers, puts it this way. She says, Advent is not for sissies. Okay? Because actually the world we live in is a world in which we can often be somewhat overwhelmed by the sense of darkness around. Volcanoes erupting in New Zealand, fires in Australia, angry nationalism and polarized politics across the world, terrorist attacks, impeachment hearings in the States, here at home, homelessness on our streets, high-profile sex scandals, a struggling NHS, darkness is evident. And it's not just darkness out there, it's also darkness in here. The problem is not external. The darkness is within also, and all of us are frequently confronted with it in broken relationships, broken families, disappointment at work, destructive patterns of behavior maybe we recognize in ourselves, unresolved tension, the awareness of our own self-centeredness, or the fact that we just need a job and it's not coming. The sense that it's not all is as it should be. Sometimes we're confronted with the reality of being out in the dark, like the shepherds in the field at night. And Advent is a season where we do not pretend that's not the case. We do not hide our face from it. We reckon with our sense of need. Shepherds started in the field at night. And then the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. Light comes in a burst. For the shepherds, the familiarity of the night was interrupted by the light of the glory of God in the appearance of angels bearing good news. And they were afraid. You would be too, I submit. If suddenly the quietness and the darkness and the sense of hiddenness was met with light and glory. The curtain was pulled back. An ultimate reality became clear to them. They were in the presence of God, overwhelmed by a sense of otherness, that the world is not all as it seems. Not just grass and bleating sheep, but actually all along behind the curtain, God in all his glory, now being revealed by the heavenly host, and such an unveiling is fearful. We're not as big as we thought, not as in control, not as important, not as hidden. And moments when we become aware of transcendence are called uh, a sense of the numinous, okay? A sense of the other. Now, I had a moment like that just a few months ago when I was on holiday in the Lake District, and um, Becca's parents had very kindly hired a house, and we said, we'll come. <laughs> and so we did. And um, it had an incredible view, and I was sitting in our bedroom, which had like quite a big windowsill, 
And so, you know, it was safe enough to open up the window and look out at night. And there was just stars beyond which you can see in Birmingham, okay? And it was a sense of the vastness of the universe. And actually, what it did to me, it, it caused me to, to awe, to wonder, and actually to feel a little bit dizzy, which I don't think was the fact that I was sitting on the window ledge, but just a sense of the otherness, the transcendence, the bigness. And in comparison, my kind of smallness, really, and I felt a sense of the presence of God and a sense of holy fear at who he is. The shepherds found themselves in a moment of numinous. God, his glory, revealed to them through the angels. And the words come, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Even as we are overwhelmed by the contrast between the state of our common condition and the light of the glory of God, his first word is, as always, fear not. Fear not. With all that's going on around you, with all that's going on inside you, shepherds, fear not. With all that's going on around you, Oasis Church, with all that's going on inside you, the Lord comes with a word, fear not. Good news is announced. And the angel says, behold. Now that's a word that does not simply mean look or see, as sometimes it's translated in our Bible. Behold is about revelation. It's about the curtain being pulled back. It's about something being revealed that you could not see by your own human capacity. It's about being taken hold of something, a message that was coming to them that would produce great joy, binding you to hope. Great joy for all the people. For all the people. This news is to reach everyone. And the announcement is about something God has done, God is doing, and God will do. It is not about human potential. It's about the action of God. And in this time between the comings of Christ, our hope is not in human potential, but in the action of God and his faithful promises. Hope comes from outside of ourselves, unearned, unmerited, unexpected. And when God speaks, it's as good as done because his word and his action go hand in hand. And what is the word of promise that comes to the shepherds? Unto you is born a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Hear that pronoun, unto you, yes to you. In the midst of your dark night, unto you, a saviour. How we need a saviour. How I need a saviour. In just a few weeks' time, people will be making New Year's resolutions in a bid for self-improvement. But we cannot save ourselves. And our resolutions fall short. I need a savior. You need a savior. We need a savior to put us to rights, to overcome the darkness within and the darkness without. Our world needs a savior. Politics is very important. 
But home cannot be built by any political party. Not the home that we all so desperately need. We need more than human potential. But the angel announces good news. To you is born a savior. Christ the Lord. The kurios in Greek. Christ, God, come. He comes as savior. He comes as judge. Bringing judgment on the darkness within and without. And that is good news. Precisely because there is no room for darkness in God's cosmos. And so the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And this is good news. It's news of liberation into all of the goodness of God. Because as Karl Barth puts it, he is the judge, judged in our place. Coming himself to bear the judgment of darkness. This is good news of great joy for all the people. A saviour. Christ committed to our good, God not against us, God with us. Restoring home for us, home coming to us in him. But how silently the wondrous gift is given. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a manger. God, numinous, taking on flesh. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those on whom his favor rests, as some translations put it. And you know, earth's peace and God's glory are two sides of the same coin. They really are. His glory is displayed in securing our peace in working for our goodness and our peace is found in beholding being taken hold of by the glory of God by the goodness of God by the majesty of God peace on earth that is homecoming that is the home that is coming peace on earth shalom but what does that mean what does that look like it means wholeness it means completeness It means everything being put to rights. It means restored relationships. And it starts in the microscopic as well as on the macroscopic. In homes, in communities, in workplaces, in our nation, between the nations. And it's all based on this restored relationship with God, the bringer of peace. His home with us, heaven on earth, God with us. Peace on earth means a flourishing environment. It means an end to poverty. It means every living being having enough. It means no more tears, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death. All those things will pass away because the home that is coming is a home where Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is light. And Jesus is life. And Jesus is love. And so there will be chased away darkness and death and disconnection. Peace on earth means fully enjoying the glory of God, which is his goodness manifest to us because his favor rests on sinners trapped in a world of darkness. That is good news for me 
for you, for the world. The shepherds heard the announcement, they saw the baby, and they saw, therefore, in the person of Christ that the future had come down into the present. And then, Luke tells us, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. They, they went back to the field, and, and night would come again. And once again, there would be in the field in darkness. But they had seen the light. They had seen the future. They returned home knowing about the home that was coming and had already arrived in the person of Christ. The promise was as certain as if it was already here because Christ the Lord had come. And so peace had come. Peace has come. See, just a few months after this event, Mary and Joseph would be on the run with Jesus from a tyrannical king, hell-bent on clinging on to power. And there would be bloodshed in Bethlehem, the blood of little ones. And yet peace had come. The announcement was true. Throughout Jesus' ministry, while healing the sick and casting out demons and proclaiming God's favor, he would be surrounded by fierce opposition. And yet peace had come. The announcement was true. And 33 years after the angel's announcement, Jesus would die alone in distress, pinned to a tree by a global superpower rejected by religious leaders. And there, he would bear the curse of our sin, the full weight of our broken home. There, he would be surrounded by all the darkness of the world, there, making peace. It is finished. Peace has come. The announcement is true. And on the third day, Jesus would rise in glory. Our Redeemer lives and walks upon the surface of the earth. And to those struck with fear at meeting the risen one, his announcement is, peace be with you. Peace has come. And his first disciples, those faithful women who break the news to Jesus' followers as well, they would thereafter encounter lots of trouble and suffering. Life would not be easy. It would be very hard. And they would have work to do. But all in the certainty that peace has come and home is coming. And in that certainty, they would be caught up not in getting busy for their own sakes, but caught up in the action of God, participating in what God was already doing, as Richard spoke to us about last week. Caring for the poor, loving their neighbor, working for peace, sharing the gospel, speaking of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We too, in the midst of our trouble, can know for certain peace has come, peace will come. Because Christ has come, and Christ will come, and home is coming. Glory to God in the highest. You see, it's the promise of God that fuels our repentance. Always his word comes first. Our obedience, Peter's obedience, in throwing down the nets, as we talked about earlier, was in response to the word of God, 
was in response to the faithfulness of what he'd already spoken, empowered by what he had already done. He had already come near in gracious promises. Christ has come. Christ is coming. And so we now get caught up in the action of God as Advent people. Again, Karl Barth said, the whole Christian existence is that of Advent, living in the time between the comings of Christ. Like in the Narnia books, when the news that Aslan had arrived had come, the Narnians still had many battles to face, but they were swept up now in a movement that could not be stopped. And a new courage was found as they realized that Aslan was on the move. This was no ordinary thought. Jesus is Lord. He has come. He will come. And now we get caught up in his kingdom-bringing activity, knowing that it is good news for all people. Peace on earth and glory to God in the highest. So what does it look like practically to live in that place? Well, Jean's going to come and help us to work that out just now. So as we've been hearing about, there is a real tension between living in what you might call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. The Bible speaks about the kingdom of God both being here and being near. And if you know and love Jesus today and you've decided to follow him, your eternity, the not yet, that is secure for you. But we are not only called to live as if we are people who have that ticket into eternity, a ticket to heaven, but people who are called to bring heaven to earth in the now. And this morning, we're just going to explore briefly some principles that hopefully will help us to navigate that tension between the now and the not yet, the kingdom of God being near and the kingdom of God being here. Firstly, I'd like to encourage you this morning to pursue being uniquely you. We all have the same primary calling to love God and love each other. But outside of that, there are a myriad of ways that this can be expressed. God created you deliberately and very purposefully to be you. And as humans, we have such a tendency to look at others, compare ourselves to them, and either feel debilitated by what we see in others that we think we can't emulate, or try to mold ourselves into that person. But the kingdom of God needs you to be you. (coughs) We all, I'm sure, can agree that Adrian Hurst is brilliant. He's excellent. But the position to be Adrian has been filled. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) We can look at Adrian and we can take from him encouragement, inspiration, and challenge. But pursue becoming more of who God created you to uniquely be in order to bring the kingdom of God in the now. Secondly, don't disregard the simple, the ordinary, the everyday, 
God absolutely works in extraordinary and supernatural and inexplicable ways. But more often than not, God works in the natural and the everyday. I love the story of a guy that I know back in Devon who found or started his journey to salvation and freedom in Christ because he happened upon an open-air gathering in the town that we're from. And the thing that spoke to him the most was the fact that people were wearing normal clothes. And he even saw a guy wearing the exact same pair of jeans as him. And it suddenly just smashed the stereotype that he had of Christians and made him think, well, maybe this is something I can be a part of. Have you ever thought that your choice of clothing could have an eternal consequence? I've got a friend who has a wonderful gift for singing, and it comes quite naturally to her. It's also very sacrificial when she does it publicly, but it just comes naturally to her. And she has had people approach her after she's sung to say, while you were singing, God healed me. God took away some of my brokenness and she was just using what God had given her naturally and it was ministering to people in ways that she couldn't have imagined. The book of Hebrews compels us to meet together, to be community, to be people who are prone to outbursts of good deeds, kindness and encouragement. So we can't sing What if someone simply needs our kindness or our attention? I was listening to the story of a girl the other day who described how she was sat on a train platform contemplating how she was about to end her life by propelling herself onto the tracks in front of the train that was to come. And the thing that stopped her was just a guy who instead of being on his phone or in his own world, just started a very ordinary, everyday conversation about the trains being late, the weather. And it completely broke those thoughts for her. And she suddenly felt seen. And that very ordinary conversation saved her life. I had the privilege of going to um, New Wine earlier this year, which is the Christian festival, and hearing um, a guy from Uganda share his testimony. And he started off by saying that a 15-year-old girl in the UK saved his life. How did she do that? She gave her pocket money to sponsor him through an organization called Compassion. He was a Compassion-sponsored child. He is now considered an old man because he's reached his 40s and not many people in his country do. He leads one of the largest churches there and he is developing a network of pastors to take the kingdom throughout that nation. I'm sure that that girl, when she gave up her pocket money to sponsor a little boy on a rubbish dump, couldn't have imagined that he would be impacting an entire nation for the kingdom of God. Don't disregard the simple, the everyday, and the ordinary. And thirdly, don't discount yourself. Don't underestimate your significance. The shepherds that we heard about in that packet, that passage, 
were on the night shift. Shepherds on the night shift in that culture had no social status whatsoever. It was a very lowly and obscure position, the kind of job that was very necessary in society, but that no one really wanted to do it. If you've ever felt insignificant, obscure, then know this, that pronouncement, just as it was for the shepherds in their obscurity, in their darkness, that is also for you. And likewise, let's not fall into the trap of thinking that God couldn't possibly do it without us. Recently, I was, um, happened to be in Coventry, and I was late, as is quite usual for me, so I was in a rush, and there was a homeless man sat outside KFC, and I had that little prompting, that little voice from the Holy Spirit to go and speak to him and offer him some food. But I was late, and I was like, oh, not now, God, I've just got to get there. I'll see if he's still there when I come out. So I carried on my business and came out, and he was still sat there. So at that point, I thought, great, phew, let's go, let's go now. And I approached him and said, hi, you know, can I get you anything? Would you like something from KFC? And he was like, you're all right, love. There's a guy in there now doing it for me. It was a missed opportunity, but there is grace for that. When we hesitate and don't do it, God will find a way. He is bigger than that. But don't let it also debilitate us. Instead, let's rejoice in the fact that God doesn't need us to fulfill his plans, but he has chosen to partner with us in bringing his kingdom here. And there is grace for that. And he simply says to us, let's go again. Let's go again. Fourthly, Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. The experience of Joseph in the Old Testament was one of betrayal by his own brothers who sold him into slavery. He was then wrongly accused and imprisoned. Disaster. But God used that situation, the people he encountered in prison, to bring him to the attention of Pharaoh. And as a consequence of that, Joseph was put in a position of authority and he saved thousands of people's lives who were at risk from impending famine. Some 20 years or so later, when he comes face to face with his brothers again, the very people that had betrayed him and sold him into slavery, he says to them, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. And the Hebrew used there is a picture of weaving. What you wove together for evil, God has rewoven for good. God is the master reweaver. Fifthly, be united in Christ. Emily read to us that beautiful prayer this morning, which was so oozing with the truth of what it really means to be unified. The Bible says, make every effort to keep the unity you have in Christ Jesus. And we need to know that disagreeing with each other is not the same as disunity, that we don't have to agree on every single thing. It's Jesus that unites us. The implication there 
is that unity is not something that we can take for granted or that we have. It is something that we must strive to keep, that we need to work to maintain. And at the moment, it seems as if we are living in a time of particular division and polarization, politically, politically and environmentally. And what I have seen and what I've experienced is division within families, amongst friends, as well as some pleas from various people in various um, forums to remain united in our humanity, whatever our political leaning or colour is. We are allowed to disagree, but we do have to keep the unity that we have in Christ Jesus. We shouldn't join our voice with the voice of division, but instead approach our differences with curiosity and grace, not judgment. And finally, be careful how we measure success. The fruitfulness of what we partner with God in is up to him and is a work of his grace. Sometimes we reach out to someone to offer something of the kingdom of God in an attempt to bring some of heaven into the now, and it fails or is completely rejected. But God still says, I'm the God of the universe and I love you. When I missed that opportunity with the homeless guy, I didn't walk away any less loved than before, or any less loved than if I hadn't have hesitated. Success in God's economy is quite different to the success that the world uh, feeds us, that idea of success. If ever you've applied for a job and you've been told that you are unsuccessful, there is bound to be disappointment. But actually, success in God's economy is more about leaning more on him, becoming less self-reliant and more God-reliant, so that we can say, I didn't get that job, but I was reliant on God, and I'm leaning on him still. And just to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So just to sum up some of those points that might just help us to navigate the, the difficulties of being in this time of the now and the not yet, the time that we eagerly anticipate. Don't try and fit someone else's mold. Pursue becoming more of who God created you to be. Embrace the ordinary as well as the extraordinary. Don't count yourself out of God's plan. His pronouncement is very much for you. Nothing is wasted in God's hands. Fight to keep unity and redefine success according to God's economy, not the world's. Jean, thank you so much. just wonder if we could just maybe close your eyes. We're going to draw things to a close. Just going to 
wait on the Spirit to come and land things that we've heard, maybe things that we've sung about. No one's here by chance. No one's here just because circumstances conspired. It's we, we serve a sovereign God who determined the exact times and places that we should live in order that we might reach out and know him. And he's wanting to be known within all of the realities of your world to catch you up, that you might behold him, his plans, his purposes, his goodwill, not just for you, but for the universe of which you are a very significant part. And we are called to be a people empowered by the promises of God to live for the sake of the world, not for the sake of ourselves. And every little movement in the direction of peace is a prophetic sign pointing to the king that is to come. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these last three weeks of Advent that we've been able to engage with the tension of the now and the not yet. And I want to thank you that you are not a God who stands aloof from us in that tension, but who joins us within it. Thank you, Father God, for sending us your Son. Thank you that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that Jesus, on ascending back to the Father, you have sent the Spirit, and the Spirit is our helper and our comforter. Thank you that you are our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you that you call all to yourself. Pray you'd help us to live as a people devoted to you. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would keep um, shining the light of the truth of the gospel into our hearts. I pray for each and every person here, Lord, for a illumination, for a revelation of the goodness of God in the person of Christ and for encouragement to keep living for you. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, who, for whom they would not call themselves a follower of Christ. I, I thank you. Your word has come to each of us today. I pray that you would cause faith to rise as you have been spoken of, that each and every one of us in this room might look and live. Look to you, Lord Jesus, and live in the life you freely give us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.